this world and with what we're doing and who we are, and we'll confess that to God and ask for his forgiveness. And then we'll come together and we'll be joined with Christ and with each other in the Eucharist. And then in our final prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving and commissioning, we'll be sent out. No longer worshiping God in here, but worshiping God in the world, in our homes, in our workplaces, on the golf course even. It's okay to play golf as long as you're worshiping God. Um, that's what worship is about. And so what I want you to come with, if you come with one thing, come away with this, is that when we worship in such a way, and when we participate in the shaping of this story, um, it speaks Christ into our hearts and into our lives, and over time, consistently, day in and day out, week in and week out, when we worship like this, it changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit uses our worship to change our hearts. The Word of God, the sacraments, the emotional, the singing, the worship changes who we are. Why is that? How does our worship do that? Well, I want to highlight three things about our worship that are very important and um, what's happening, and then we'll conclude with an analogy about barbecue. So get excited. First thing, worship is incarnational, okay? We just celebrated Christmas, right, which is um, the Feast of the Incarnation. And what we're saying, that's a big fancy word, but it basically means that God became man. That something other and outside of this creation came into this creation as one of us. It was incarnational. And we say that about worship as well. We worship God in such a way that Jesus meets us in ways we can understand and in ways that we can relate to. There are three components of our worship, I would suggest, and they are emotional, physical, and sorry, intellectual. Emotional, physical, and intellectual. All of these compose our spiritual encounter with God, but, but we're not just floating spirits, right? We have bodies, we have minds, and we have emotions, and in our worship, God meets us in all of these. So think about um, the emotional connection that we make sometimes in worship, the songs um, that we sing, the prayers we receive or, or offer, whether it's in um, the prayers of the people or if you visit a prayer station afterwards, that, is, um, that can be physical healing as well, but certainly we connect in an emotional level and can experience emotional healing in our prayers and our worship. Our worship is physical. We stand up. We sit down. We stand up again. Sometimes we get crazy and we raise our arms up in the air while we're praising God. Some of us make the sign of the cross, right? These are all physical signs. These are physical acts of worship. God gave us bodies. He wants us to use them to worship Him. And so our worship is, is, is physical in that way. And it's also intellectual. God gave us minds. He wants us to think about who He is, about what He's done, about what He's written in His scriptures. And so we have a sermon time, like, like now, where you're, you're thinking about these things. Okay, I see, what, I see what's happening. You think about the Word of God. When we say the creed, you, when you say the creed, you're saying some really difficult theology, by the way, that took hundreds of years to come together. That's thinking. That's using your intellect to worship God. Um, a particular form of this, and especially the physical side of worship, are the sacraments. God's given us baptism. He's given us Holy Eucharist as a way of communicating grace and mercy to us, as a way of saying the promises I have said in Scripture are true. Think about it. You can feel, you can see, you can hear when we pour it, the water 
of baptism. This isn't something that you have to imagine. This is something that you can see right here. And God is saying, through that water of baptism, I'm communicating my grace to you. You come up for the Holy Eucharist and you can smell and you taste and you touch the bread. You receive the wine. And God is saying, I'm communicating to you my grace in things that you can understand. Things that have taste and touch is a very real thing. You're holding it in your hands. No, it's not magic. It's not that something magical happens when you're baptized. If that was the case, I wouldn't be hanging out with you guys who are all baptized. I'd be going out there and I'd be flinging water on people if it was magic. It's not magic. It's something that's received in faith, but it's also something very real. It's a gift that God has given to us that we don't have to imagine. What if it was based on your feelings? What if um, Jesus said, you know, remember me in your feelings instead of remember me in the Eucharist? What if he said, remember me in your feelings? Well, sometimes that's okay, right? You feel good and you feel like loving God. Sometimes you don't. Our feelings are fickle. They're, they're not always true even. Sometimes, I mean, they're true, but they're not always, I mean, they're, they're, you know, one day is good, one day is bad, and you never know. But God is saying, listen, I've given you baptism. I've given you Eucharist. These are real things that are signs of my promise to you that I love you. That's all part of our worship that is incarnational. We worship God in ways we can understand and taste and touch and feel and see. Now, our worship is incarnational, but it's also transcendent. So in many ways, it's familiar, and God uses familiar things to speak to us. But it's also transcendent, because God is not content leaving us where we are. He wants to show us a greater vision, a holier vision, something more than we can imagine. And so we worship Jesus in a way that transcends our day-in and day-out lives. Um, if you think about the imagery of our Holy Eucharist, for instance, think about the first part. It's called the Sursum Corda. That's a big fancy word. Um, but what do we say? We say, the Lord be with you and also with you. And then what do I say? Lift up your hearts. Right? Lift them up to the Lord. Get it? There's this lifting up imagery. We are lifting up our hearts into the throne room of God. In the church building, in the Book of Common Prayer, we sing a song that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know where that's found? It's in Isaiah, and it's in Revelation, and it's sung by the creatures that are flying around the throne of God. When you come to worship, you are being lifted up out of the daily mire of the world, and you are being plopped right in front of the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah who's sitting on the throne. What an amazing thing. If we could only see, if we only had the spiritual eyes to see what is happening in our worship, we would be blown away. And so our worship is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be different. I love our worship team, Bonnie. You're fabulous. You're one of the best worship leaders ever. You're not Bono. You're not you too, okay? <laughs> if we wanted to have a great concert, um, while I love you guys, I wouldn't come here for the concert. <laughs> the worship team is here to lead us into worship. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to look like the things of this world. So we come here not because we want the same thing that we can get out there, but because we want something different. Out there can't offer us God in the same way God can meet us in our corporate worship. 
Our worship, then, is different, is transcendent. At the same time, it's incarnational. And then finally, our worship is historical. The ancient worship, the ancient liturgy of the church connects us across time and across space. The words we say week in and week out are almost the exact same words that Thomas Cranmer wrote in 1549. And the words Thomas Cranmer wrote in 1549 are almost the exact same words that the earliest Christians were using, let's say, in, I don't know, 200 A.D. In 200 A.D., we have a um, written um, account of Christian worship, which by all intents has been going on for 100 years before that, by a man named Hippolytus of Rome. And it's almost the same as we do today. His account of baptism, almost the same as we do today. We are worshiping God in the same way Christians have been worshiping him for 2,000 years. And it's incredible. But it's not only across time. We're worshiping God um, in the same way across space. Consider, uh, at least I was reflecting on this past year, 2014. I got to worship God in four different languages. Um, countless times in English. That's, um, that's what I do. But then several times in Creole and Haiti. And then in Kenya, once or twice in Swahili and once or twice in Borano, which is a, a tribal language. Um, and so everything about these were different. For um, instance, in Kenya, um, their, their instrument of choice is a th- synthesizer, electronic synthesizer, um, which is, you know, it is. Um, <laughs> and then all these languages are different, and I didn't understand any of them. But here's what I got. The form, the pattern. So um, this morning with our annual meeting coming, and I'll have a, a brief address then, I thought we would take some time, rather than expounding um, the scriptures, to simply talk about our worship and uh, a little bit of why we do what we do and a little bit of what is happening when we um, do come together for corporate worship. Although these readings were really good, um, so I was partly tempted to to scrap this and go with that, but I'm not going to. Um, But but simply, I do want to refer you to Jen DeMann's sermon from last night at St. Timothy's. Um, By all accounts, it was excellent, and that is online. And so if you want to hear about the meat in 1 Corinthians, which you should want to hear that, um, go listen to Jen and her teaching on the St. Timothy's website. It's fabulous. So now, on to what we are doing today. Um, This will be less of a sermon, more of an instruction, and hopefully not as long. Um, We as Anglicans have a peculiar form of worship. We're we're a little peculiar in that way, and especially compared to the way many people um, in the United States worship. Um, You know, our worship comes out of a book, and in this service we've taken the words in the book and, and put them on a screen, but it's something we do together, which is slightly different, I think, than in many places. And then we have um, standing and sitting and standing and sitting. And sometimes in the church building we have some kneeling involved. And and it can feel like an aerobic exercise from time to time, at least for some of us. Um, And so, you know, that's a little different. And and on top of all that, uh, many of our clergy wear vestments. And so I've got a white robe on and a green stole. And uh, we follow a church year that is different than the year of the world. For instance, the church year starts... In December, that's a little different. Why not just start in January like everybody else? 
it's a peculiar form of worship. And we can't um, talk about all of it this morning because that would, of course, take hours. Um, but I'm happy to ask, answer questions at any time. Um, you can call me, email me, whatever you'd like, and we can talk about why we do some of these things. But this morning I want to focus in on sort of the order and form of our Sunday morning worship. Is there a purpose to it? Is, are we doing things for a reason? And I would suggest to you, yes. There is, I think, a form and a pattern to Anglican worship that tells the story of God week in and week out, okay? And so every week in a form of worship, you will hear the story of God from our brokenness as sinners to our redemption in Jesus Christ to the hope of his coming again to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to share the gospel with the world. We go through this pattern week in and week out, and not only that, we're invited into it. We're invited to participate in it, to be... Um, changed and transformed by the word of God to receive communion, the body and blood of Jesus to be brought together as the church to be sent out on mission. It's a story, and as we participate in it, it shapes us and changes our hearts. Consider what we do each week, and now things are going to be slightly different. And so starting today, just think about this pattern. We, we begin with some singing, some opening um, sung worship, and we have this prayer that God would purify our hearts, and then we hear the Word of God read to us, and then afterwards we hear the Word of God proclaimed to us, and the thought is that when you hear the Word of God, there's power. Something happens. God speaks to us, and He touches our hearts, and it demands, when we hear the Word of God, when it penetrates our hearts, it demands a response. We want to respond to that. And so the traditional pattern of Anglican worship is to hear the word of God proclaimed and then to respond. And sometimes we'll respond, like this week, we'll respond with a creed. A statement of what we believe as Christians. We hear the word of God and we say, we believe this. And this is something Christians have been saying for 2,000 years. Sometimes we'll respond differently. Sometimes we're going to sing a song that invites a personal response between us and God and an emotional connection. I mean, there's, there's things we're going to do that will respond to the Word of God proclaimed. We also respond in prayer. We give thanks for the promises of God that have been read to us and proclaimed to us, and then we will offer our prayers and petitions to God, that He, the God of the Bible, would come and intervene on our behalf in this world. And finally, we'll respond in confession. We'll realize that there's something in the Word of God that is touching our hearts, that is convicting us, that is saying there's something not right with the rhythm of worship exactly the same. I didn't understand a word they were saying, and I could barely understand the music. But I was at home. I was at home because the rhythm and the pattern of worship that is soaked into my bones, I was, it was just right there. It was across time and across space. Our pattern of worship is, <coughs> is ancient and historical. <coughs> so, incarnational, transcendent, and historical. What do these add up to? How many of you like barbecue? Morrissey, are you here? Yeah, you like it. Who else? Right, come on, you guys like barbecue. Now, some of you actually can make a good barbecue, and I'd like to talk to you when the service is over. <clears throat> Anglican liturgy 
is like barbecuing a good piece of pork. You can't do it. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> Think about this. You can't barbecue in 10 minutes. It doesn't happen. It doesn't taste good. It takes a day, maybe, if you have a lot of barbecue. You've got to let it slow cook. You've got to let it simmer and just let the spices seep into the meat and let the meat become tender and divine. Not divine, but delicious. I mean, it's amazing. <coughs> Anybody bring barbecue to the lunch? <coughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But think about this with worship, okay? Sometimes we're flashy, but not often. But we're consistent. And week in and week out, you come here and you hear the promises of God and you connect with Him emotionally, you connect with Him physically, you connect with Him intellectually, time and time again. It's like a slow cook in our hearts that maybe began stone cold time and time again when we hear the Word of God, when we receive the sacrament, when we come together with the fellowship of believers. Time and time again, our hearts are melted. and They become tender and loving. So we can receive the word of love of God and we can spread the love of God. And then on that final day when we meet our Lord, we can look back on our lives and say, God, you were always there, always consistent, week in and week out. And I met you and I know you and I love you. That's what we're doing. We're meeting God time and time again, week in and week out, very consistently. By the power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are being melted we're drawn closer and closer to God. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit uses worship to touch our hearts. Your word proclaimed and read, your word received in sacrament. I pray, Lord, that if we have a deeper appreciation and understanding of worship, that you would use it to transform us, to draw us closer to you, that we would be a grace-filled, gospel-proclaiming people. I ask all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.